we turn to the gospel according to St. Luke and continue our reading as we were there last week. Jesus is speaking. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If then you're not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of God for the people of God. As I was reading over this passage again and again each day of the week, looking at it, trying to decide which way God would have us go, trying to prepare to be here in this moment, it came to me this old skit that Abbott and Costello did. I don't know if you remember them. If you're younger than I, you may not even have heard of them, but they were stand-up comedians. And they had this one comedy routine that had to do with baseball players. And the baseball players had weird nicknames. The guy who was standing on first, nickname was Who. The guy on second was What. And the guy on third was I Don't Know. So the two fellows come together, and one's trying to figure it out, and he says, do you know the names of the guys on the team? And he says, yes. And so he says, who's on first? And he says, yes. I'm asking you, who's on first? Yes. Who's on? I'm asking you, you got, what? Yeah, now you've got it. He's on second. And it goes on and on, and the whole time it's confusing. They never get it straight. It's funny to watch. But it's not so fun to live a life of confusion. It's no fun to live a life that feels confused all the time. If you don't know where you're going, you don't know which way to go, you're not sure what your priorities are, you're not sure what you should do next, you're not sure how you should handle a certain situation, it can be frustrating. It can be debilitating. It can ruin your life if you're not clear about how life works and what's important. And what makes it meaningful or fulfilling or abundant to use Jesus' language? Last week, we're reading in Luke 12, back in verse 15, if you have your Bibles open, we focused on this verse where Jesus says, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he goes on to talk with them some more about how important it is to have spiritual things in order. And then we picked up in verse 22 today where Luke tells us that he turns to his disciples, his special group of followers, and says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. 
what you will eat or about your body what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothing and he begins to talk with them about how easy it is to get distracted on the wrong things how easy it is to worry but he gives them these illustrations about flowers and birds of the air and says to them do you not see that these are part of God's creation just like you and God takes care of them don't you believe God will take care of you you're of so much more value God will take care of you if you're focused on the right things you will experience that from God these are his closest disciples and he's having to remind them to stay focused on the kingdom of God and on spiritual things. If you've read through the gospel, you know that in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus determines to go to Jerusalem. It says he turns his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. That means he's going to the seat of power. He's going to face the authorities. He's going to challenge some of the things of the status quo. And he knows that it's going to get rougher for himself and for his disciples and he's trying to prepare them to make sure they're focused on the right things so they'll be ready to deal with whatever life brings are you prepared are you putting yourself in a place where Christ can prepare you or have you gotten distracted with other things are you developing into a more deeply devoted disciple Unfortunately, there's so many Christians that make a commitment to Christ, but that's about as far as they ever get. They're not growing into the image of Christ as they go along. They're not focusing more and more on the spiritual things or putting themselves in a place where God could transform them into a thing John Wesley called perfect love. That is where everything you said and everything you did was motivated by the love of God. And the love of neighbor, are you there yet? Are you preparing to be there? Are you putting yourself in places where God could lead you there? As Jesus talks to these disciples, his closest ones, and he's telling them, don't worry about this other stuff. That's okay for other people maybe, but you're to focus on the things of the kingdom. Apparently he has seen them get distracted and knows how easy it is get distracted it is easy to end up in the group of disciples jesus addresses when he says you have little faith you have little faith and again in my bible there's an exclamation point they were all through last week's reading they're through this week's reading jesus has some passion about this focus and striving for the kingdom and making sure your priorities are in order and you're looking at spiritual life as an important component of your life jesus said it simply jesus said it like this strive for the kingdom strive for the kingdom or for many of you who grew up reading the king james version you may remember it as seek that translation used seek seek ye first the kingdom of god and god's righteousness and all these things will be added unto you seek strive the wording doesn't really matter. It's the idea that you have God and the kingdom of God and the things of God at the top of the list. And you're living your life in such a way that says, I trust that God will take care of everything else. If I'm 
doing all I can to follow God's lead, then all these other things will come together. Jesus says you can count on it. Jesus says you can count on God. If you put God first and are striving for his kingdom, God's going to take care of everything else. So Jesus talks about the ravens and the lilies of the field and that God is taking care of all of that. Do you not believe that God can take care of you as well as he can take care of them? It's good news when you believe it. When you really believe that all the worrying of people in the world about how they're going to look or how they're going to dress or if they have the right car or the house or the clothes is not the most important thing but being filled with the love of God and sharing it with others and if we're about that all those other things will take their proper place that's good news it's a good deal to say I'll follow God and God will take care of everything else but obviously, even Jesus' closest followers have trouble with it, so we probably do too. So he's reminding them, strive first for the kingdom. In preaching circles, it's well known that often young seminarians come out of seminary, and they're fired up, and they're passionate, and they've had preaching class, and they think they're ready to preach to a big crowd, and they're sent to a church that has three people in worship, or maybe 33 and they often say, you know, I deserve something more. I should have something bigger. And the best advice I ever heard about that from another pastor was, if you've got three, preach like you have 3,000, and someday you'll probably get that chance. Do the right thing where you are. Give your best where you are. And God will take care of the rest. Focus on doing the right thing where you are, and more will come. That's what Jesus promises the disciples in this passage today. I read a story not long ago about a farmer, Farmer Fleming. It took place in Scotland. He was out tilling the field one day when he, he began to hear a murmur, then some screams, and it sounded like somebody was in trouble, and he ran through the trees to where there was a bog, and sure enough, there was a young lad in the bog about waist up in this black muck and mire, and he's struggling, and he's panicked, he's screaming, but the more he struggles, the deeper he sinks. The farmer acts quickly, grabs him, gets a rope, is able to pull him out, saves his life, probably saves him from a slow and terrible death. The lad goes on his way. The next day, in front of the modest farmhouse, a beautiful carriage pulls up. An elegantly dressed nobleman steps out, says, where is the farmer? They go and get him. He comes out. He says, you're the farmer that saved my son. Well, yes, I am. He said, I've come to repay you. He said, oh, no. You don't need to repay me. I can't take any payment for what I did. About that time, another boy comes out of the house, and the nobleman sees the boy and asks the farmer, Is that your son? He says, Well, yes, it is. He said, Well, how about this then? If you won't let me repay you, how about you let me educate your son at the same schools where I'm going to educate my son? If he's half the man you are, I'm sure he will grow up to be a boy of whom we can both be proud. The farmer says, Okay. The boy goes to school, and he does really well. I mean, he's smart. He studies hard. He's doing really good in his classes. He's just moving along one class to the next, top of his class, until finally he gets out, and he's doing so well that he becomes known as Sir Alexander Fleming because he's the discoverer of penicillin. 
Sir Alexander Fleming saved many lives, but interestingly enough, the same lad that was pulled out of the bog falls deathly ill later in his life as a young adult. And guess what saves his life this time? You guessed it, penicillin. The nobleman was a fellow named Sir Randolph Churchill. The young boy that had been saved twice was Sir Winston Churchill. Do the right thing, and good things happen. Do your best where you are, and good things will happen. If you're focused on the right things, Jesus promises that God is going to be at work in your life, and you're going to see blessings. Strive first for the kingdom, and good things will happen. There's a story about a little boy that was out flying his kite one day. He loved to fly kites. And this particular day, the wind is blowing just right, and the kite goes up and up and up and finally disappears into the clouds, and he's still hanging on. And about that time, a man walks by and looks up and says, What are you doing? He says, Well, I'm holding on to this string. And he says, Why are you holding on to this string? And he says, Well, I've got a kite up there. And the guy looks up. He cannot see a kite. And he says, Are you sure? I don't see a kite anywhere. How do you know? And he says, uh, I can still feel the tug. Can you still feel the tug of God on your heart? All of us felt it when we first came to Christ. But it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to wander away. They no longer feel the tug. Our mothers and fathers in the faith said it's really important that we put ourselves in places where we still feel the tug. Some feel it here when we're singing and reading the Scripture, praying together. Others like to be alone and feel it in a time of reflection or prayer or Bible reading. Some of our young people will feel it this year. They'll go through confirmation, and they'll begin to feel the tug of God in a fresh and new way. Some of you will be in a Bible study, and all of a sudden, you'll sense the tug of God in your heart in a fresh and new way. It can happen in any kind of setting. Some will be serving others. Some may be at work and just doing a kindness or maybe going on a mission trip, and they'll feel the tug of God in a fresh and exciting and vital way. The question is, are you putting yourself in places where you feel the tug of God on your heart? Do you still feel the tug? It's so very important. Jesus says to strive first for the kingdom. And all these other things then will be taken care of. We're coming to Holy Communion this morning. The mothers and fathers in the faith said, this is an important place. Do this as often as possible. You'll feel the tug of God. So I invite you, while you wait your turn this morning, to receive the elements. Think about who's on first in your life and where you need to be to feel the renewed tug of God on your heart.